0: We are uh, exiles, uh, strangers in a strange land. Our world lives outside of what God intends. We live in a land that's uh, a stranger to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some say we live east of Eden. People and nations are strangers to God. In the Old Testament, the group of writers who point out this reality are the prophets. They deliver messages about God's reality. The prophets, says one person, woke people up to the sovereign presence of God in their lives. Uh, The prophets get rid of assumptions about life. They point to what really counts, faith, obedience, worship. The prophets train God's people to discern between the world's ways and God's ways. The prophets are not easygoing. They're not celebrities with a celebrity faith. The prophets don't often fit our way of life. They never never call us to make room for God in our lives, because they know God's way too big for that. If we want God, we must fit our lives. Into what God desires. One of the Old Testament prophets is Daniel. Uh, Many of us know about Daniel from Sunday school. His prophecy was about Nebuchadnezzar's weird dreams. And four men in a fiery furnace. And Daniel's visit to a, a lion's den. Daniel lived in a strange land. Literally, he was taken into exile as a young teenager. But through his story, we hear a story of trust and obedience in a sovereign God, even while living in a strange land. So over the next few weeks, we're going to explore the first six chapters of Daniel. These stories will encourage us to commitment, to integrity, to perseverance, as we find our way in a strange land. Eugene Peterson says, Hardly a day goes by that we do not have to choose between compliance to what is expedience and loyalty to our Lord. The Daniel stories, he says, keep us alert to what is at stake day by day, hour by hour. Daniel invites us to step out in faith because God is in control. We live faithful to God, even in a strange land. Daniel begins like this. If you have your uh, Bible with you or your Bible app on your phone, you may want to read along. But before we begin reading, Daniel, let's pray together. Lord God, we want to hear from you. Our lives would be uh, purposeless, uh, without direction, and pretty hopeless without your word. And so we come again with anticipation. To hear what you have to say to us and to know that our lives will be conformed to your word because of your spirit moving in and through us. We pray this because of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, And Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Daniel and his friends were exiled to Babylon. The scheme was to reprogram them, to assimilate them to Babylon's ways. Babylon opposed their faith and righteousness. So on first reading, the story of Daniel seems pretty straightforward. Daniel and his friends, only 13 to 16 years old, were caught up in this game of international politics. Judah's king, Jehoiakim, a puppet of Egypt, is dethroned by Nebuchadnezzar. And he lays siege to Jerusalem. Judah's defeated, humiliated, and alien power overwhelms the once glorious nation of the Lord, And some of the people are exiled. In exile, these people come face to face with unrighteousness. The story says the articles from the temple were carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia. Babylonia was Shinar. Shinar was the place where the descendants of Noah tried to build the Tower of Babel. Babel is where people wanted to make a name for themselves. Babel is a place where God-worship is not on the front burner. Daniel and his friends were refugees in a place of wickedness. But the wickedness was subtle. King Nebuchadnezzar hatched a cunning plan to assimilate these young men. He wanted to train them in Babylonian ways for political and propaganda purposes. First, he isolated them. The king ordered Ashpenaz, king, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites. He took the brightest and the best and brought them into his court. Uh, As someone once noted, these young men were the kind who aced every test and they were in the starting lineup. And then he indoctrinated them he was to teach them the language and literature of the babylonia this is one. this is was some kind of boot camp brainwashing he offered them an ivy league education they got full ride scholarships to babylon university their future was bright and further he indulged these captives the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table we are not talking hot dogs and beans now, they were treated to prime rib with portobello mushrooms, main lobster with basil ravioli, creme brulee for dessert, and the wine flowed freely. And finally, he gave them an identity change. Get rid of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These names recalled the God of Israel. No, civilize them with good Babylonian names. Give them names that point to the supremacy of the Babylonian gods. Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Now they were under Nebuchadnezzar's authority. Nebuchadnezzar's plan was simple. Take the best and the brightest into exile. Isolate, indoctrinate, indulge, and identify them as true Babylonians. And then when these young men were reprogrammed, when the next wave of people came into exile, they would quickly fall in line behind these bright leaders. Mission accomplished, hearts and souls committed to Nebuchadnezzar and his ways. Except Daniel resisted. He didn't fall prey to Nebuchadnezzar's ploys. Daniel stepped out in faith, sure of God's sovereignty. Daniel 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink, Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king then would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this test and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. This wasn't a a whim. Daniel resolved. Daniel consciously chose not to eat the king's food. He wasn't obnoxious about it. There's no belligerence or arrogance. He humbly pursued his decision. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Daniel's resolve was grounded in faith. It's possible the food the king served wasn't kosher. I mean, they likely didn't observe Jewish dietary laws. It's also possible that the food was offered to a Babylonian idol. Daniel may have reasoned that food offered to these foreign gods would defile him. I mean, either of these would be good reasons for Daniel's resistance. But I think there's a deeper reason. Daniel would not be identified with the king's causes. Eating the king's food was a matter of identity. Identity. The king could change Daniel's name, but Daniel would not be under his authority. Now, some of us might think food choice is a a minor thing. I mean, why rock the boat? I mean, Ashpenaz was afraid of Nebuchadnezzar's reaction, and he could make life miserable for Daniel and his friends. Just go with the flow. I mean, did Daniel expect that he would lose his soul eating the king's food? Well, in a word, yes. Daniel feared losing himself. The question for Daniel was very much an issue of identity. Eating this food was all about who he was in this exile place, and he would not be identified as a Babylonian. Daniel's allegiance was with the Lord, the God of Israel. God is my judge. That's what Daniel's name meant. And that's how Daniel would live. Daniel knew that those who feed you are the ones you give allegiance to. How many of you don't love your mothers because of the food they give you? He would not let Nebuchadnezzar define who he was. Nebuchadnezzar would not lay claim to Daniel's soul. Daniel's resolve to not eat the king's food shows us just how subtle the temptation to compromise can be. I recall one summer when I was working a job in a, a, a union job in a factory. Uh, the first day on the job, I was given a, a task to do. I did it. And then I reported to my supervisor when I was done. Whoa, he said, you've got to take it easy. You can't be working so hard. You'll show everybody else up. Make them look bad. And from then on, sorry to say, I goofed around more, took longer breaks, made the tasks last much longer than they should. I compromised to fit in with everybody else. Sadly, I cheated the company I worked for. See, so often we excuse ourselves with the simple refrain, everybody's doing it. But God calls us to faithfulness in little things. Pastor teacher Fred Craddock once put it like this. We're called to give our lives to God, to be holy Devoted, So we boldly declare, Lord, I'm ready. I will pour out my whole life for you. And we think that giving our all to the Lord is like taking a hundred dollar bill, laying it on the altar and saying, here's my life, Lord, please take it and use it. And the reality is God sends most of us off to the bank to cash in that hundred dollar bill and change it into dimes and quarters because he wants us to spend our lives 10 cents and 25 cents at a time. We do the little things. Listen to our obnoxious neighbor's kid who never stops talking. And we go to a committee meeting, even when it is the World Series. And we give a cup of cold water to the old man in a nursing home. Fred Craddock put it like this. Usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. I mean, it would be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. That's what Daniel did. Little by little... He lived a life of true holiness. He lived the truth that we read about in the New Testament book of First Peter. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Stepping out in faith is to live for God in all the little things of life. Like Daniel, we step out in faith when we find our identity not in what everybody else is doing, but in what God wants us to do. Of course, we can can step out in faith because God is in sovereign control. No matter how things appear, God has not left the scene. God is alive and well in Babylon. Listen to the rest of the story. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. It may have seemed as if God was out of the picture. mean, God's city, Jerusalem, the place where David and Solomon had built an incredible home for God was toppled. When the temple treasures were taken to Shinar, to the temple of a foreign god, the message seemed clear. The gods of Babylon rule the world. And we can almost hear Nebuchadnezzar's taunts. Your God is worthless. Your God cannot even protect his own people. Except Nebuchadnezzar was sadly mistaken. And Daniel 1 gives us all the clues to see that God is working behind the scenes at every step. God orchestrates the movement of history to his will. Look at Daniel 1, verse 1 and 2. Nebuchadnezzar's on the move, but verse 2 says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't take Judah. God gave Judah over to him. The Lord delivered. God brought Judah into captivity. God is in charge. Uh, But God also remained with Daniel and his friends in their exile. When Daniel resolves not to eat the king's food, he devises this test to assure Aspinaz that everything will be okay. Give us veggies, wait for 10 days, and let's see what happens. He's not making a case for some vegan lifestyle. It's not proof text for parents who want their children to eat vegetables. No, the focus is on God, who engineers this little test. Daniel 1 verse 9 says, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. God looks after the well-being of his people against all expectations. What seemed to be this hopeless situation was shown to be an occasion for God's vindication. And after 10 days, Daniel and his friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who ate the royal food. And in case we didn't get the message, uh, Daniel 1 gives us two other clues about God's presence. Daniel one seventeen says, To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Uh, they may have been enrolled in Babylon U, but God was the one that was equipping them with what they needed. In fact, they end up being ten times wiser and better than all the others. And then a second clue is found in Daniel 1, verse 21. The chapter concludes, And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. That is, Daniel was part of the Babylonian court until Nebuchadnezzar was gone. Daniel, empowered by the Lord, outlasted Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 1 shows us God is in charge. The sovereign Lord God of Judah gave them over to exile. God helped them flourish in exile. God remained on the scene until long after Nebuchadnezzar and his gods were gone. I mean, let's be clear. No matter what happens, our God is in charge. And we can step out in faith because God's in charge. We are a people living east of Eden. We're in a strange land. Sometimes it seems like the world's evil will overwhelm us. A pandemic throws us into a panic. Dictators abuse their people. Democracies, Democracies can fail to be just toward the least, the poor, the refugee, the person of color. And sometimes living in a strange land tempts us to give up on faith. Life in exile can easily give way to that faithless mantra, everybody's doing it. Even in simple things, we can be assimilated into a way that's not God's way. Daniel invites us to step out in faith. Even though we're refugees, strangers, aliens in a place estranged from God, we're called to live by faith. To take a stand. No, not some heroic million dollar stand. No, just a little one. To find our way each day to stand faithful to our God who wants us to live on earth as it is in heaven. Make our stand, not in our own strength, but in God's. Not for our own agenda, but for God's. Because you see, God is sovereign. God is working His purposes out in the world. So our goal is not to make our culture Christian. No, Daniel shows us that we're to live as Christians, even in a hostile culture, in a strange land. Stepping out in faith is to walk with God, who will see us through every test. To be Christian means not to conform to what the world values, but to remain faithful to God. We step out with God, who was present to his son, even as he died, and was present to him to raise him to life. We can step out in faith to honor our God, to recognize God's sovereignty in all we do and say. Because our God's in charge. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we uh, live for you and all the little things of life, we pray that you. Uh, by the power of Christ, make us faithful. Help us to, to always step out for you, to take a stand for you. Whether things are big or little, help us to recognize that all we do and say is under your control. We thank and praise you for Jesus Christ and for your spirit that lives in us. Amen.